Girlfriends, episode number 181. So you want to change your husband. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week, we are talking about how to change your husband. Who hasn't wanted to do that, at least at some point inside of your relationship? Important topic, and I can't wait to get started with you. Let's go. Hey, girlfriends, welcome to another episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. Glad you are here. If you are a first-time listener of the Girlfriends Podcast, I just want to take a moment now and welcome you. Thank you for giving us a try. Thank you for giving a listen to the Girlfriends Podcast. You are an important part of what we do here. You are the reason we do what we do here. So I hope you'll relax and enjoy this episode and check out other ones as well. If you're a longtime listener of Girlfriends, I just want to say welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you for the important part of the Girlfriends community that you are just with your presence here. Thank you so much for that. I'm so grateful for the listeners here at the podcast. When you give me feedback that I beg for, I'm always grateful, but I'm mostly just grateful that you show up. I'm grateful that you're here and that you listen to everything that we share every week. Thanks for being here. This week, I am recording on a sweltering summer day. I just love this time of year. I don't know. Maybe because I live in New Hampshire where it's frozen much of the year. But I just, I it honestly, I, I guess I have my moments every summer. But for the most part, it can't, it can't be too hot for me. And um, I love the heat. I love the sun. I love getting out on the lake. We live in the beautiful lakes region of New Hampshire. So every opportunity that we get to go out in our boat or even just go to the beach with the kids, I absolutely love it. And I'm trying my best not to take it for granted. I'm being grateful every day of this summertime. Also grateful for the time that we get to spend with big kids who aren't always home, but we recently had some time where they were home for the weekend and it was wonderful having everybody home again for, um, you know, a couple of days over the weekend. And we're planning a few other trips this summer. So as my kids get older, I'm finding that I really do relish those opportunities when we all can be together. But I'm also trying not to focus too much on that um, because I want to enjoy my kids who are here. And um, even if only part of them are home at any given moment, um, we can have a good time. We can do family activities. We can enjoy our time together then. So as special as those all-together moments are, I I don't take those for granted either. Um, I'm trying to focus on being happy with um, the family that's around and friends as we're able to spend some time together, especially spending some downtime together this summertime. We don't have any big trip planned um, as a family, but a few different smaller trips, uh, weekends, and a couple of overnights. So looking forward to a little bit more of that before the college kids head back and uh, things get quiet around here again. How's your summer going? I wanted to check in with you about fitness goals because it's been a little while. Um, and I know that we do that regularly here, kind of checking in how you're doing. And if you're not doing anything at all fitness related and it's on your mind, this is your reminder to get to it because summertime is a great time to get outdoors and just move around. You can go for a swim. You can go for a hike. You could go for a walk. You can go for a run. You could sign up at your local air conditioned gym if that's your style. Um, but I just want to encourage you to give some thought to it in um, how are you making movement 
a regular part of your every day. It's so important. I know I nag you about it, but it's because I love you and I know it's going to make you feel better. I know it's going to make you happier and healthier in the long run if you're taking care of your body. And I don't mean you have to sign up for some hardcore fitness program. I mean giving some thought to ways in which you can add exercise as a regular part of your every day. Even if it's just a 10-minute walk, you know, after your lunchtime, if that's more than you've been doing, great. Look for ways to kind of add something like that to your summer days. For me, I've been continuing training for a half marathon this summer with my daughter, Juliet. I think I shared with you earlier that she asked me to do that. That was one of the New Year's fitness goals I shared over at the Catholic MomCast when I was talking with Lisa Hendy earlier in January that I was going to be doing this half marathon. Well, it's almost here. In fact, by the time you're listening to this, it will have been done. I will have run it. However, I managed to do that. Um, But I've been continuing my training and that's been kind of a good way to structure my exercise this summer. I've been away from long distance running for a little bit for a number of reasons, one of which was um, I was injuring myself with my long distance running in the past. And um, I had kind of moved away from that and was doing more shorter distances. I mean, like, you know, five miles or less and um, sprint training, which I enjoyed, which is a much faster workout, but more intense. Um, But so this is getting back into the longer distances. So, you know, running 10 plus miles as a regular part of how I've been working out. And let me tell you, I'm going to be glad to stop doing it. (laughs) It's not something I want to continue doing. I'm happy to be doing it. And I'm glad I have this goal that's making me do it this summer. And I'm happy to be doing it with Juliet, especially. Um, She and I complained together about the workouts. But Um, I don't know. Long term, this isn't something I'm going to continue to enjoy. I really do enjoy those shorter runs. I enjoy strength training, which I've been moving away from just from not having the time to spend on that over this summer while I've been doing this running. So anyway, I'm going to be glad to get back to exercise. Um, I don't even know what I'm going to structure it like yet, but I'll share that with you when I do. Um, But I'm looking forward to having a different mix where it's not so intensely long distance running. Um, Because that I I know a lot of people love that for the long term. For me, I don't think that's going to be something I'm going to continue doing in the long term. Running for sure, but not these great long distances. So wish me luck or wish me luck retrospectively. God is outside of time. You can say a prayer right now and it will help me through that half marathon that I'm planning to run this coming weekend. All right. So this week's topic is about changing your husband. Aha. Yeah, I know. I got your attention with that title. So you want to change your husband. Who hasn't wanted to change their husband at some point? You know, and which of our husbands hasn't wanted to change us at some point, right? This is part of the human experience. Um, But before I get started in this topic, I want to say I'm focusing on how to change your husband. Um, But this kind of advice probably could be adapted and could apply to your boyfriend, your best friend, your mom, etc. With the one caveat, if you're if you're dating somebody right now, and I know we have um, single women who listen to the podcast, I love that we have single women who listen to the podcast because I do want girlfriends to be an open community for women from all walks of life. Um, so if you're dating someone right now that you want to change, let me just tell you, um, that might not happen. 
And don't think you're going to marry someone and change them later. Now, this is such uh, common advice, but I, I really want you to hear that. If you are dating someone and you think, if we just get married, he's going to turn into this and it's all going to be well. If there are issues in your relationship right now, they are going to be there when you get married. If there are issues in how um, he handles anger or how he works or how he relates to you, things you don't like, things that you do not want in a husband, don't think it's going to change when you get married. It's probably going to become more exaggerated. It's probably going to become worse in some ways. So I'm just going to put out that caveat. A lot of this advice could apply to changing anyone. Um, but for the most part, um, if you are dating someone and you're looking to change them in some major way, you know, that's a red flag. That's something to pause and consider. It doesn't mean it's a deal breaker, but it is something for you to think about. So just putting that out there. But for the purpose of this show, I'm going to talk about if you want to change your husband. So I'm assuming a married relationship. Also, I'm assuming a healthy married relationship. That doesn't mean you're perfect, but that means there isn't any kind of, you know, abuse going on in that in that relationship. So this doesn't apply to dysfunctional relationships in that sense. Okay. All right. So so you want to change your husband. I've got a few different tips for you. And um, before <laughs> before I get started with my tips for changing your husband, I bet a bunch of you right now are like, what? She's actually going to tell me how to change my husband. Well, okay, so that's the first thing I need to say before I even share any of these tips is you probably can't. You probably can't. And um, these tips are, are some ways that um, you can influence somebody else or make them want to change or motivate them or encourage them. Um, but... I think that before I even get started with them, it's important to frame all of this in terms of you probably cannot change your husband. You can change you. And that's part of what we're going to talk about inside of these tips here. Um, but so let's talk about what are some of these ways in which um, common ways in which women might want to change their husband. So I think a lot of them, um, you know, we talked about helping your husband to become a spiritual leader in a previous show. And I got a lot of feedback from that. I got a lot of feedback before it, asking for it, and then a lot of feedback afterwards saying it was helpful, but with further questions, um, concerns, sharing their particular issues. That's a big one, is wanting your husband to be more of a spiritual leader, wanting your husband to perhaps be more actively involved in your family's prayer life, in um, you know raising your kids in the faith, maybe even going to mass, maybe he's not going to mass, you know, those kinds of things. Spiritually, there are ways we want to change our husbands, for sure. Um, other ways with regard to health, perhaps, perhaps you want to change his eating habits. Perhaps you want to change whether or not he's exercising or what kind of exercise he's doing. Um, work habits, maybe you want him to work less. Maybe you want him to work a different job. Maybe you want him to work more. Maybe you want him to be more ambitious at work. You know, these are ways that we sometimes want our husbands to change. Um, also, with regard to his relationship with your kids, a lot of times we want to control that. We want to influence that um, for the good. We want them to have a good relationship with their kids, and we want them to invest more time with their kids, perhaps. Um, so, you know, maybe some of these apply to your situation. Maybe they don't. Maybe there's some other specific way. But um, we're going to talk about what are some ways that you can be an influence in changing your husband for the good, for the positive. Okay. First one, and this one's a little bit funny, is, um, and, and I recommend it for maybe some lesser situations, is you can make a deal. 
Now, I've done this before in my relationship where um, I really wanted my husband to do something. And I think it was attending a, an event that I knew he wasn't going to like as a family. Um, and he didn't want to do it. And he was like, nope, not going. And I didn't want to go by myself with the kids. I really wanted us to go together as a family for good reasons, right? I wanted us to be a family unit. Um, also socially, I just wanted him to be present there. Um, and he didn't want to go. It wasn't the kind of event he enjoys. It wasn't the kind of people he enjoys. It wasn't going to be his jam. So he was like, no, I'm not going. And um, I remember at that time deciding, well, I I need to like, you know, convince him I need to sweeten this deal somehow. And so I went and I offered to make him his favorite dessert, which is strawberry pie. And I said, if I make that, will you go on Sunday to this thing? And he totally agreed. And he actually thought it was really funny. Um so this is this is one that applies for some of these more lighter situations. I don't recommend well, I mean, I guess it depends on the details, but uh, making a deal in more serious matters. Um, but making an exchange like that can make it lighthearted. It can show him that you it really does mean something to you because you're willing to put effort into it, right? Um, you might swap out making his favorite dessert with doing... Um, something that he really enjoys that you don't tend to do. Maybe he likes to go to a car show and you hate going there, um, and, but you want him to come to your parents for dinner and he's reluctant to do that. Make a deal. You go to his thing, he goes to your thing and no complaining about it, right? Um, or maybe it's that you really want him to do a particular chore around the house. Well, you could offer to do a different chore um, for him in exchange for him doing that chore, whatever it is. Um, I think making a deal is great because it shows you're willing to put effort into it, but it also makes it kind of fun and lighthearted. I remember early in our marriage, um, we had a, a really big blizzard. It was a snow day and Dan was really dreading having to deal with the snow and the slush and clearing off cars and shoveling the walkway and all of that. And that day in particular, I was just, you know, cooped up inside and I was really not looking forward to having to make dinner. And I generally was the one who made dinner. Dan generally was the one who went outside and dealt with the snow. And that day we decided to switch. And it was really fun, actually. Uh, I don't even remember what Dan made for dinner, but it was fun to not be the one who made dinner. And it was fun for me to get outdoors <laughs> and try something different. And he was thrilled to not have to worry about it and not feel guilty that his wife was out shoveling the walkway because he was contributing in a different way. Um, I think making those kinds of deals, um, it, it adds a certain lightheartedness. It also kind of opens you up to the other person's perspective, right? Because if you're trying to make a deal, you're thinking, well, what does he want, right? I know I want this thing. And sometimes when we want something, even if it's something very good for their own good, um, we get so focused on what we want and what our plans are and what we want to control and our outcome that we neglect to think about the other person's perspective. And so, I think making a deal kind of forces you out of your own perspective and into the other person's perspective a little bit in a way that can be very fun and adds an element of lightheartedness, right? Making this kind of deal can be fun. Okay, so make a deal if there's some way, especially a small way, that you're looking to change your husband. Um, number two is sort of related. Find out what they want. Find out, you know, if you're having conflict with your husband over the ways you spend leisure time, maybe you think he watches too much TV and you'd rather be doing things outdoors or, um, you know, your family's prayer life, um, you know, what what you think it should look like and the fact that he's not involved or what his kind of work is. 
then find out what his goals are in those different areas of his life. Maybe he doesn't have any goals. Maybe that's a place to start. Like, do you have a goal for health or for your fitness or for your work? Um, I think sometimes this is such a no-brainer, but we forget to do this because we're so focused on ourselves. But find out what his goals are. Find out what his idea of fun with the family is. Like, just ask him about it. Maybe every Saturday afternoon he's just watching television and you'd rather he wasn't doing that. Um, But ask him about it. Maybe that isn't actually his goal, but he defaults to it because something else is going to take too much effort and you could offer to help with it. You know, Um, ask him about it. The only way you're going to find out is if you ask. And the only way you're going to encourage him to begin to consider possibilities even um, with regard to his work, perhaps, is by asking him about it. In a, in a careful way, right? You need to be careful about what your tone is to make sure it's not being judgy. You know, like, haven't you ever thought about, <laughs> you know, don't do that. Don't be judgy in the way that you're approaching this with him. But actively ask him what his goals are. I mean, who wouldn't like that? You would love it if he was asking you, right? And especially if it's an area of your life you hadn't previously given thought to, it could be very encouraging to, to think about the possibilities for what kinds of goals you might like to have in your family's spiritual life or in your work or in your parenting or in your marriage or in your own health and fitness, right? So ask him, have those conversations. And it doesn't have to be a big, heavy-handed, you know, sit-down kind of conversation, but you could just ask in passing, maybe during a car trip or um, when you happen to be alone together or maybe as you're getting ready for bed at night and you have a moment of quiet, just, you know, bring it up. If it's something that um, you have a real agenda for, he's going to feel that, right? So try to remove that. If you already have an outlined list of everything you think he should be doing in his work and he knows that, or know some sense of that, um, it's going to come out in your questioning. So try to remove yourself from those kinds of um, attachments to what you think should be in the beginning of this conversation and just ask him what he thinks should be or what he thinks could be or what he would want to be. And then together, this is the beautiful part, together you can make a plan for getting there. And I mean, that's what's so beautiful about marriage is that you can set these goals together, but you need to both get on board in the first place. So rather than having your goals and looking only at your perspective, having your list of all the ways that he can improve and then going to him with them, find out what his goals are, maybe share some of your goals for yourself, for your marriage, for your parenting, for your work, and then together you can make a plan for how you can support one another in them. So find out what he wants. It's important. All right. Third is really dealing with um, the way that you talk about these things. Um, and, and I really encourage you to ask instead of telling him something. So say there's a particular uh, fitness program that you want to do together with your husband, and he's not doing any kind of exercise, and you're worried about his health, and you really want him to do this. Um, don't go to him. I don't think any man is going to respond well. Okay, I could be wrong. But most men would not respond well to their wife coming and saying, here's this program, we need to do it, right? Um, he's he's going to want to feel more a part of the decision than that. And I don't mean in a manipulative way. I mean in a way that's understanding of human nature. Um, you could just share it with him and say, what do you think about this? 
rather than having an agenda, right? Do you hear the word agenda a lot? If you have an agenda, you need to remove it from yourself before you make these conversations with your husband. So go to him and say, what do you think about this particular fitness program? He might have a negative opinion about it and you need to be prepared to hear that. He's a separate person from you. Or maybe there's a men's group at your church and you'd love it if your husband would join it. You think it would be really good for him. You can just ask him about it. Did you hear about that men's group at church? Or so-and-so told me this about that men's group at church. What do you think about that? What do you think about groups like that? Have you ever been a part of a group like that? You know, ask questions, not heavy-handed. Or um, with regard to his relationship with the kids, you know, maybe ask him about certain activities. Um, What do you think about camping? Would you ever like to go camping with the kids? You know, it's it's much it's a much less heavy-handed way of having an opportunity to talk about these things, of introducing a topic and inviting his opinion on it. It's important that there's no judgment in the way that you're sharing about these topics, in the way that you're asking about these topics. So if that's going to be part of what's going to come out in what you're saying, you need to work on you first and remove that from yourself. Find out what the source of that is. Why do you have this judgment? Why do you have this resentment? Why do you have such a specific agenda for the ways in which your husband should be living his life? Because he is a separate person from you. And now that's related to my next tip that I want to share, which is being aware of your tone. Regardless of how you're bringing up these topics, it's important to examine yourself first. Examine how attached you are to a very particular outcome. Because I think that's where we fall into trouble, especially as wives who we want good things for our husbands, but sometimes we think we know too specifically what that good thing is. And having that hidden agenda is going to sound like judgment to your husband. So it's very important that he doesn't hear judgment in what you're sharing with him, what you're asking him about in you bringing up these topics. And if this is something that's been a source of conflict for you in the past or in the very recent past, um, then maybe it's something that you need to take a break from talking about for a while until he'll be able to hear you without bringing up all that past judgment that he's already felt from you on that topic. Um, So it's important that he doesn't feel that judgment. Be aware of your tone It's important not to have criticism hidden inside of what you say. And be aware of the fact that if this is something he's sensitive about, like say somebody is overweight and they're very insecure about their level of attractiveness to you, um, then he's going to feel very sensitive to you criticizing his weight, criticizing his lack of exercise, criticizing his poor diet or whatever you believe the issue is. He's going to be very sensitive to any hint of that in what you say. And you may not even mean it in what you say, but you need to be aware that in approaching those topics, you need to be ultra sensitive to the fact that he might hear those things very defensively and remove that from what you're saying. And it may be that you're not able to talk about something right now. You're not able to talk about it in a way that he's able to hear right now. Maybe you need to build him up in that area, reassure him of how much you love him first. You know, so many times we start from the wrong place. And rather than going to our husbands and telling them, letting them know in, you know, a hundred different ways, spiritually and verbally and emotionally and physically, letting them know that we love them and we cherish them and they are a good thing in our lives. They are a good husband. They are a good father. Building them up in that way 
is the is the place to begin. And if you haven't been doing that, in fact, if you've been doing the opposite of that, and and I'm not blaming you. I know sometimes we are frustrated, and things come out the wrong way. Sometimes we don't even know how hurtful some of the things we say are to our husbands. But if you if you're coming at it, if you have been coming at it from a negative way like that, there's probably some time that you need to pause and reassess. And you know, whatever this goal is for your husband, this way that you want to change him, however good it is, it's not a greater good than him knowing that you love him and you accept him and that you want to be with him forever, reassuring him of your committed love for him. So recognizing that, you know, God might share your goal for your husband, but he isn't hitting him over the head with it. He's inviting him inviting him to whatever good thing it is, whatever way in which you're hoping that he's going to change for the good. So be aware of your tone, be aware, be hyper aware of any hidden criticism that could possibly come through in the way you're saying something. And really err on the side of being super positive, encouraging, and just gentle in the way that you approach your husband. If you're, if you're looking to motivate him for, for good things that you want for him. All right, number five is set the example, change you. This is something you can do. This is something you can do without any hesitation whatsoever. And you don't even have to be careful about how you do it. You can change you. And I think that this is a powerful thing inside of our marriages. I've experienced it many times, both with Dan doing something first and setting a good example for me, and the opposite, where I do something first and then he becomes interested in it um, without me ever pushing it. That's the thing. That's the key thing. Set the example. And this is sometimes so powerful that Dan is sometimes... Um, he's gotten upset with me for something new that I'm doing because he instantly feels pressure to be doing it himself. So if I'm doing some new fitness thing or if I'm, you know, eating a certain way or if I take on some other discipline with regard to work or organization or bedtimes or whatever, he instantly feels like I'm asking him to do it too, but I don't. That's the thing. (laughs) I very rarely do overtly ask him to do something like that along with me. But setting an example is such a powerful thing inside of a marriage that you can feel that pressure without the other person even saying anything. So if there's some particular way you want your husband to change, just do it. Just be a positive example of the good that it can bring in your life. If you want him to be going to daily mass, go to daily mass. And you don't have to be all pushy about it or even braggy about the fact that you did it, right? But you could make sure that he's aware that it's a positive thing in your life and that you're glad you're doing it. Or you could just be very quietly setting that positive example and he might see the changes in you as a result of you going to daily mass or you making time for daily prayer or praying with the kids or skipping watching television or eating more healthfully or reading more books or whatever your particular goal is. If it's your goal for your husband, then start with you. Be that positive example And he may not immediately respond to it, but we all are influenced by the people that we're spending time with and the people that we're spending most time with. Well, guess who he's spending a lot of time with? That's you. So you get to be that positive force, that positive influence in his life. You have that opportunity. So look for ways that you can change 
you. That, because that's something that you can always do. I find that that's very encouraging, right? Because sometimes we get discouraged. We have these goals. He needs to do this. He needs to do that. Well, guess what? You need to do this. You need to do that. And start there. You can do that. Okay? So set that example. And then number six, I need to mention this because sometimes we get caught up in our own agendas so much we can't even consider an alternate perspective. So this tip is know that you might be wrong. You might be wrong. This wonderful thing you have in mind for your husband, this goal that you have for him, you might be completely wrong about it. It might not be a good thing for him. It might not be where God is calling him to work right now. So sometimes this is a very humbling thing for us to accept, and we don't want to accept it because we think we know so well what is good, what is right, and it might be a very good thing, but it might not be what your husband should be focused on right now. It might not be a good thing for him. So know that your ideal for your husband might not at all match up with God's plan for him. That's a tough thing to accept because we think we do know. I know in my own life, um, when my husband, after teaching for 18 years at a small Catholic school that closed, and then he found himself like, okay, what am I going to do now? I pushed and pushed and shoved (laughs) him into a new position, which I thought was perfect for him. It was available. It seemed like a perfect fit. I thought I was being very prayerful about deciding that this is what my husband was called to. And he was hesitant at a few different points, but because he loves me and he respects me, he he went ahead and pursued it. And he did get that position, which was terrible. It was awful. It was a terrible fit. It was a disaster. It was a very difficult situation for our family for a short period of time there. Um, He suffered. I suffered. Our family suffered as a result of this situation that I had pushed for because I thought it was the perfect thing, the perfect fit, the perfect plan for what he was going to do professionally next. Well, that was a very humbling thing for me to accept that my perfect plan, as I laid it all out on paper and pushed him into wasn't the right thing. And we need that reminder sometimes, whether it's a big thing or a small thing, that our ideal that we have in mind for our husbands sometimes isn't God's plan at all. It might not be. So we need that reminder sometimes as we're really wanting our husband to change in different ways that maybe those aren't the ways that God wants him to change. So be open to hearing that. Be open to understanding that. Know that you might be wrong with your agenda that you've got all written out and listed for his own good, right? So know that you might be wrong and that your ideal plan might not at all match God's plan for your husband, which leads us naturally to the last point that I want to make, which is bring all of this to prayer. Ask God what his plan is for your husband and how you can support that plan. Because guess what? That's your job as his wife. Husband and wives are meant to get each other to heaven. That's your number one job. Get your husband to heaven. And your children, of course. Um, But ask God how you can do that. Know that the answer might not look at all like what you have in mind. Ask God how you can do that. Pray. Pray for your husband to know God's will. Pray for you to know God's will inside of your marriage, but also the ways in which you can support your husband in whatever way God is calling him to grow closer to him right now. So another addition to prayer is you can add sacrifice to that. You might consider offering something up 
for your husband? Something particular, maybe you're going to give up something, maybe on a particular day, a challenging task that you have, you can offer it up to God and say, I'm doing this for my husband, right? Put your money where your mouth is. If you really want good things for your husband and not just your own specific agenda, your Ken Barbie doll, the way that you want to shape and form him into being what you want, then put your money where your mouth is. Pray for him and sacrifice for him. Even if you're just going to, your prayer is just going to be asking for peace with what you cannot change about your husband. What amazing good can come from that? If there's something inside of your marriage, some way that you're hoping to change your husband, that's a source of strife between you or even just for you interiorly, ask for peace and accepting what you can't change about your marriage, about your husband. What a beautiful gift that would be if you could just let go of that thing rather than being hyper-focused on it and being resentful and disappointed inside of it. So prayer, I'm adding it last because I want to underscore this. All of these kinds of relationship issues, all of these kinds of contentious things that might happen inside of your marriage, these kinds of conversations, these longings for wanting to motivate your husband in particular ways, these ways in which you want good things for your husband, they all should be rooted in prayer. You need to begin there. You need to end there. So make sure that you're praying for your husband. Make sure you're praying to know God's will for your husband and ways in which you can support that. Say a prayer to the Holy Spirit, asking the Holy Spirit to let you know what his will is for you, even minute by minute through your day, especially inside of conversations with your husband. And then ask for the grace to obey his will, to do what what the Holy Spirit is nudging you to do even if it doesn't match your list of to-dos inside of your marriage. Okay, so those are my thoughts on how to change your husband. And um, I'm sure you have some feedback on this topic. What's something that you've struggled with? What's something that has worked inside of your marriage? I would love to hear from you. You can email me, danielle at daniellebean.com. Connect with me on social media. I'm Danielle Bean on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can send me a voicemail, just record it on your phone and send it to me at danielle at daniellebean.com. Or last way, you can connect with me on Voxer. I love to get Voxes. If you're not familiar with Voxer, it's a fun app where you can leave voice messages for people pretty easily. The link to connect with me on Voxer is always in the show notes at ascensionpress.com. Coming up in a minute, I'm going to be sharing some listener feedback and a listener question. So don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ chose corrupt, broken, imperfect, sinful men to be the foundation of his church. And because these broken, imperfect men chose to remain in relationship with Jesus, they became saints. And they were used by Jesus to transform hearts and minds 2,000 years later. I invite you to check out my book, Broken and Blessed where you'll find practical tools to overcome habitual sin, to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and to walk with an imperfect church toward a perfect God who is calling all of us to perfection over time. To order the paperback book or audiobook, Broken and Blessed, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. 
Alrighty. I said I was going to share a listener question, and this is a tough one. This I got from listener Liz in email this past week. Liz says, I've been listening to your podcast and I love your approach to parenting. I was wondering, do you allow your older teens to drink? We have always stood firm that our kids aren't allowed to drink until they're 21, but none of them have followed that rule. I wonder if we should just allow them to drink and teach them how to do it, quote unquote, safely. It just doesn't seem realistic to expect them to not drink until they're 21. I'd love it if they would wait, but they don't. They just end up hiding it from us. Thanks for any advice, Liz. This is such a sticky topic, and I don't know that I have the perfect answer here, Liz, but I'll share with you a little bit of our own experience with this. For sure, this is something that we've struggled with. For sure, this is something most American families struggle with, even homeschooling families that seem to have it all together. This is just part of our culture, and especially those of us who are sending kids off to college, it, underage drinking is such an embedded deeply embedded part of the college culture on so many college campuses, even some of those small conservative Catholic colleges where I think some parents naively think it isn't going on. It is going on. Okay. So this is definitely a topic that um, we we need to talk about. We need to be aware of as parents. Um, so, so Liz, I, I'll share with you um, that when I was growing up, my mom, who's French-Canadian, just had more of a European kind of approach to drinking. And she she had this saying, she would say, wine at nine. And what that meant was when we were nine years old, we could have a small glass of wine with the family meal. Does that sound insane? Maybe she's going to kill me for sharing that. Now, there wasn't wine every single family meal. It was really just special occasions, holidays, and that sort of thing. But I found that for me personally anyway, it it's certainly that approach put drinking in a different category than what it did for many of my peers, where it was like not a huge deal, not some, you know, big forbidden fruit that I wanted to experiment with. And I, I didn't. I, I honestly didn't in college. And I was at um, College of the Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts for my first two years plenty of partying going on there. Um, but I wasn't I wasn't part of that. And I, I did very much live my life separated from that. And I kind of saw it for what it was. And it didn't it didn't fascinate me in any way. So there is that. But then um, Dan and I, and when we got married, and our kids were getting a little bit older, we talked about it. And he absolutely was opposed to that idea. And he's like, underage drinking is wrong. It's illegal. It's not going to happen, you know. And as our kids got older, we had friends who would, um, you know, if they were having a party, they would allow kids who were like 18 years old or whatever to have a beer, especially their own kids. Um, and and I didn't appreciate that, actually. Um, <laughs> I, and when it's a group event like that, I think it puts pressure on people to, to do things um, that are wrong. And honestly, I, I for sure never want to be hosting an event where kids under the age of 21 are drinking because it's illegal. And who knows, you know, you're liable for things if, if you know, things go wrong from there. Um, and these are other people's kids. I'm not going to make decisions for other people's kids. No way. Um, so I do resent that approach. So that's the other, other approach. Um, so definitely when our kids were going to school, um, Dan and I had conversations with them especially when they were going to be going to college. But, you know, for sure, we talked about these things when they were in high school as well. Um, but when they were going to be going to college and we knew 
they're going to be making these kinds of decisions on their own and they're going to be exposed to this culture that is very, you know, inundated with this underage drinking culture. Like that's just a normal part of life. It's how you have a good time, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, Dan especially was really good with talking with our older kids about the kinds of events that go on at colleges, um, what kinds they might like to avoid, um, what can happen at those events, um, our concerns if they were drinking and, um, you know, could hurt themselves, could hurt other people, could be involved in drinking and driving, could make decisions sexually that they, you know, otherwise wouldn't be making, make moral decisions because of the drinking that they they wouldn't make, shouldn't make, would regret making. Um, having those kinds of open discussions with our kids, I think, was really helpful. And, you know, letting them know, like, we have these standards for your behavior, um, but stopping short of saying, if you ever have a sip of alcohol while you're at school, you're a terrible person. Um, because that's a tricky thing. So certainly not giving them permission to drink and saying, oh, if you're, you know, it's fine. It's just part of it. It's a good time. I'll buy your beer for you or whatever, you know, not being like that, but also not being so heavy handed. Like, like you're saying, Liz, where you feel like the kids just did it anyway and they wound up hiding it from you, which can lead to even worse situations than could otherwise happen. Um, so it is a, a difficult kind of line to balance, right? I, I totally get that. But I think the more conversations you have about it, the the better off your kid is going to be and the better off you're going to be inside of that relationship with your kid. You want them to feel comfortable sharing with you what's going on. So start out the conversations by talking with them about what you know goes on and what your concerns are for those kinds of temptations, what your concerns are for the kinds of decisions they're going to make. I remember one of our kids, when we were having these conversations with them about the kind of large, you know, heavy drinking parties that go on at college said, yeah, but what about, what about if it's just like a, a group of guys getting together to watch a football game and they're having a few beers? And I'll never forget Dan's response was, well, that's a very different thing. And that's all he said about it. He didn't put some moral judgment on it like that's a bad thing, but he also didn't put an, you know, an obvious stamp of approval on it like you should definitely be doing that. But honestly, it is a very different thing. And we feel very differently about that as parents. But I think, you know, every family's approach to these things is going to be different. Um, you know, I, for example, if I'm with one of my young adult, not quite yet 21-year-olds, I will let them taste my wine you know, I don't care. I don't think that's a big deal. And I think being casual about those sort of things is important. Um, but like I said, Liz, I, I understand this is a tricky topic and it's a difficult one for parents to balance. Um, and I'm not saying there's one right way for families to do it, but I am encouraging an openness about these conversations with your kids because you don't want to be setting them up for a situation where they're going to be hiding these, these kinds of situations from you, especially if they're in trouble with drinking in some way, um, you want to know about that. You want to be able to be a part of their support if they need help in any way, especially if they're away at school and you're not aware of exactly everything that's going on in their day to day. You want them to feel comfortable sharing with you what's going on. You want them to feel comfortable calling you if they're in a difficult situation and they need a ride home. So these are the kinds of um, conversations we have with our kids, not just about drinking, though, but also about sex, about drugs, about, um, you know, different kinds of uncomfortable moral 
positions they might find themselves in with a group of friends because these this is the reality of the world that we live in that they're going to find themselves in these situations and we want them to be prepared for it. So I've always inside of these conversations been open in that way. And, you know, if your husband is willing to have these conversations as well, I think it's really valuable for you to sit down and talk with your kids together about it so they know you're on the same page. But then I always ended every one of those conversations with, okay, so now you know what our expectations are, but also I want you to know you can always call us. Whatever's going on, we want to know what's going on with you. We love you and we want to help you, even if we're going to be disappointed with something we find out about you. So... That's not a perfect solution, Liz, but just me sharing our approach, our kind of philosophy about it a little bit. I'm sure we haven't done it perfectly, but know that this is something that all families struggle with. And you know what? I think the families that I most admire with regard to their approach to this are the ones that don't just put their head in the sand and say it's never going to happen and lay down the law and kind of set their kids up for failure in that way. Not to say that it's inevitable, like I shared with you. I didn't drink in college. It wasn't something that was even a temptation for me. Um, so I don't think it's inevitable that our kids are going to do these things. But it is something that many of our children are going to face. Many of our children are going to, um, you know, be tempted by and find themselves immersed in a culture that's telling them it's okay. So, you know, I think sticking our heads in the sand is not the right approach. So the families that I most admire are the ones who take it on and try to maintain an open, honest relationship with their kids and kind of balance that line between approving of behavior that, first of all, is illegal, second of all, can lead to further complications in their lives, um, not just legal, but moral, and their own consequences of maybe decisions they make while drinking, Um, not being cavalier about that. I think that's really important to be very serious about it, but also be a little bit accepting of the world in which we live. Um, The fact that the age 21 is, it's, it's the legal age, but it's also a little bit arbitrary. You know, I mean, it is because you could go to Canada and drink at 18 or you could go to Europe and drink when you're nine or go to my mom's house. No, don't go to my mom's house. (laughs) Just kidding about that, mom. Uh, Not that she listens. But I think, you know, just the importance is in maintaining an open, honest, ongoing discussion with your kids about these topics, knowing what's going on in their lives, especially if they've gone away to school, say that first semester and they come home have that conversation. Ask them what kinds of things they've been seeing, what kids are doing, um, what what might be tempting for them, you know, what kinds of... You know, then you have an opportunity to describe for them, oh, that sounds like, you know, kind of situation you'd want to avoid. Those sound like the kinds of partiers you don't want to be hanging out with, that kind of thing. I think it's, it's really important to just have these open, honest discussions with your kids as they're struggling through this. So... A difficult topic, Liz, but I'm glad you brought it up because I think many people do struggle with it. If others have um, feedback to share, maybe I've said something controversial here. I don't know. I'm going to find out. You can email me, danielle at daniellebean.com. Send me a voicemail at that email or connect with me on social media. I'm Danielle Bean on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All right, I have a little bit more listener feedback, but I think I'm going to save it for next week and wrap things up here because we're coming up on time. But I want to take a moment now and thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of what I do here at Girlfriends. Thank you for being a part of the Girlfriends community. Thank you for all the ways that you participate in it, even if it just means putting in your earbuds and taking me along on your walk or on your car drive or wherever you happen to be listening to Girlfriends. It truly means a lot to me that you make Girlfriends a part of your day. 
And you know the things to do. Subscribe to Girlfriends wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate us, review us, get the word out. Tell a friend that you enjoy the Girlfriends podcast. It's a wonderful way that we can grow our community here. So until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation.